Hey, if you ask the northerner, they'd probably say that Texas is part of the South. But we know better than that. You know, Texas does have a lot of things in common with the South, but Texas is not part of the South. Texas is Texas. And uh, I get a lot of amens for that for some reason. Anyway, Texas, you know, and the South have a lot of overlapping uh, history. We have a lot of cultural things in common. And uh, we share a lot of sayings. One of the things that you'll hear in the Deep South, you'll also hear here in Texas, is bless your heart. Now, you're laughing at that because you know that bless your heart has multiple meanings. It can mean, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, bless your heart. Or it can mean, how nice, bless your heart. Or it could mean, you're so dumb, bless your heart. It depends on the context, doesn't it? Well, you know, there's a lot of sayings that can have more than one inference, and I'm going to share with you another one, and and uh, please don't misunderstand. Uh, this is always true, what I'm about to say, but it can have more than one inference, depending on how you use it. And it's this saying, God is good. God is good. And we know that's absolutely true, so don't misunderstand that. God is always good. In fact, it's been the habit of some... Some congregations, when the preacher says God is good, the congregation responds all the time. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. And so sometimes we say God is good when everything's just going, you know, coming up roses. I mean, you've got no problems at all. Everything's just fine in your life. And you just finally exclaim, God is good. Or you say it a different way. You say, isn't God good? And if what you mean by that is, I feel blessed. I feel blessed in this life right now. But sometimes things aren't going quite so well. In fact, every, every so often you look around at your life and you've got nothing but problems. You've got money problems. You've got relationship problems, family problems, work problems. Everywhere you look in life, it seems like your entire life is a problem. And the only thing you've got left is your faith. And so you say, God is good, trying to sort of convince yourself that it's true, you know, uh, like you hope that God is good. Or, or, or you say, God is good as a declaration of your faith that even though everything else is a mess, you're going to trust in the goodness of God. Or maybe it's more of a question like, God is good, isn't he? I mean, I'm, I'm sure he must be. I'm just having trouble seeing it right now. Things are a little bit cloudy and it's affecting my faith. And so you say God is good. Sometimes we hang on to that promise that God is good because it seems like we've got nothing else in life to hang on to. We're sort of searching. We're, we're having difficulty seeing the good in life. And, and maybe we wonder, God, what are you up to? God, I know you're there but I can't figure out exactly what you're up to right now. And I sure would like it if you'd explain yourself to me. Well, I've got some news. A couple of things I'd like to say about that. Number one, God is under no obligation to explain himself to you. And that's a hard truth. That's a tough one. But we have to remember who the creator is and who the creation is. God's the creator. And sometimes God is doing things that uh, is on a need-to-know basis. And right now, you might not need to know exactly 
what he's up to. What he wants you to do is trust him. He wants you to trust him and leave the results to him. Leave the understanding to him. If you're the type of person that says, well, you know, I'm, I, unless I know everything that God's up to, I'm just not going to trust him. Well, then that's really the problem. The problem is not that God is up to something. The problem is not even that you may be going through difficulties. The problem in that instance is that you've got a trust problem. You've got a belief problem that you need to deal with. God says, trust me. But sometimes the reason we have difficulty understanding what God is going, what, what God is putting us through or allowing us to go through is because we, we lack a certain characteristic, a quality of life. And it, it is this one characteristic that makes all the difference in the world. And it's not God's plan for us to miss out on anything. You see, God says in James chapter 1, verse 4, we looked at this verse last week, let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God wants you to lack nothing. He's building eternal characteristics in you. And he doesn't want you to miss out on anything. He wants you to endure the trials of life. He wants you to go through and endure the bad times of life and even do that with joy. How can you do that with joy? He wants you to do that with joy because he wants to build things in you, qualities, eternal qualities in you. And you can do it with joy if you remember that very fact that I'm going through a bad time right now because God is building eternal characteristics in me that will last forever. I want you to think about if this was your life. If your life was on this timeline from here to here, let's say. Oh, and somewhere about in the middle. At this point, on this date, through this bad experience, God teaches you or God instills in you an eternal quality. We'll call it patience. For you become a patient person. Or you become a loving person. Because you learned how to love through the hard times, through the valley. Not just this type of valley, but this type of valley. Really bad times. Or God put in you joy. Or maybe he instilled in you gentleness, self-control, you might identify that some of these things are being the fruit of the Spirit. God placing these qualities in your life, building them up in your life. How does He do it? He lets us go through the bad times and He refines us like fire. Because what, what did I say last week? You spiritually are gold. You are gold. But you're impure gold right now. And so God has to turn up the heat. And when the heat is turned up on gold, we know what happens to the impurities in that gold. They rise to the surface. And when the impurities in your life, like that gold, rise to the surface, and those impurities are exposed, they can then become impurities disposed. Once you see those impurities in your life, you can confess them to God, 
And God can change your life. And now he's turned you from being an impatient person to a patient person. From an unloving person to a loving person. God has put these things in your life. These eternal qualities. And these eternal qualities, you know, let's say you learn that patience right here on this day or through this experience. That's not just going to last you for the rest of your life. That quality is built into you spiritually and it will last throughout eternity, even beyond this life. Isn't it worth it to go through a temporary bad time in order to become a more loving, joyful, gentle, self-controlling, patient type of person for all of eternity? Absolutely it is. And if you know that, that's when you can go through the bad times and say, it's okay. I can even have joy in the bad times. And I can lack in nothing. There's nothing that I'm going to lack in because I'm giving my life entirely over to God. Yet many believers, even though they've walked with Christ for many years, remain immature. They never come to this place of maturity where they can go through a bad time and do it with joy. And that's a true mark of spiritual maturity. You know, just because you've been a Christian for maybe many decades, that doesn't necessarily mean you're very mature. Some of the most mature people that I know have walked with Christ for many decades because they've learned, they've submitted to Christ but many others have real difficulty submitting to Christ. And so we have difficulty growing in Christ. But that key mark of maturity, deciding to have joy in the dark times, that can be yours if you have this elusive characteristic. And it's called wisdom. Take your Bible and turn to James chapter 1. We're going to continue in our, path, in our pathway through James. In James chapter 1, it's just past the book of Hebrews. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. And we're in this series called A Faith That Works, the message of James. So in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, and would you stand with me please in honor of the reading of God's word. I'll read aloud, you read silently. The scriptures say, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless and honor the reading and understanding of your word in our hearts and minds today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today I want to share with you three principles 
life principles about gaining God's wisdom. And I want to begin by asking this question. When you go through bad times, what do you pray? Maybe you pray, Lord, deliver me from these bad times. I don't like going through it. You know, deliver me from my my boss at work. Deliver me from my nagging wife. Deliver me from my overbearing husband. Deliver me from these horrible kids. Deliver me from my money problems. Deliver me from whatever it is that's bugging me today. Maybe you pray something like that, or, or maybe you pray for an extra measure of God's grace, or extra strength for the day or something like that. And, and that's okay. It's, there's nothing necessarily wrong with, with praying for God to help you out. Even Jesus, when he was at, at, at Gethsemane, knowing that he was about to have to die on a cross to pay for my sins and your sins, even he asked his heavenly Father if there was any way that that cup of suffering might be passed from him. Was there any other way? But then notice that he quickly followed up that prayer with this one. Not my will, but yours be done. And so there's nothing wrong with praying for God to deliver you from difficulties, but follow it up like Jesus did. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. In other words, Heavenly Father, if you're doing something that I can't see and I don't understand, then let me go through the bad times, if that's your will. Just walk with me, God, and we'll make it together. And so you can pray for deliverance, but pray for God's will to be done. Here's another prayer that you can always pray. In the good times and the bad, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me your wisdom. Man, that's a great prayer. That ought to be part of your daily bread that Jesus told us to pray about. Those daily needs that we have. I don't know about you, but I need wisdom every day. And so pray for God's wisdom. In fact, that's principle number one. If you want God's wisdom, you've got to ask. You've got to ask Him for it. There's no other way but to ask Him for it. You've got to ask Him for it. Verse 5 again says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. When should you ask God for wisdom? Every day. It's never a bad time to ask God for wisdom. It it is always in season to ask God for wisdom. Why? Because praying for wisdom is always praying according to God's will. He told us to ask. He told us he'd give it to us. And so pray for God's wisdom. And notice that God gives out his wisdom generously. It says he gives his wisdom generously. And literally, this verse says that he is the generous God. He is the giving God. And yet God expects you to ask for it. Now, why should I ask for something if God wants to give me something? You know, if God wants to give me something, he he can just give it to me, right? Why do I have to ask for it? Well, first of all, because God said so. But secondly, beyond that, there's a very important principle that you've got to keep in mind. God's wisdom does not come without His presence in your life. You see, God wants to have a living and dynamic relationship with you. God wants to have the kind of relationship with you where every day you can talk to Him about things. Talk to Him about normal things, abnormal things. Talk to Him about everything. 
and say, God, here's what's going on in my life right now. And you just talk to him like, like Moses it said, talk to God like he was a friend. You just talk to God like he's a friend because he is. He is your friend and he's so much more. But God wants to have this living relationship with you. And so he wants you, if you want his wisdom, he wants you to have to ask for it. And God says that he'll give it to you. You're not going to have the wisdom of God apart from the presence of God. You know the verse, Jeremiah 29, verse 11, right? It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. That's a great verse. We put that verse on, on glass frames and we hand it to our graduates. You know, God has a great plan for your life, you know, and, and, uh, and, and that's such an exciting verse. You know what the next verse says? You really need to know what the next verse says. Verse 12 says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Wow. God says, I will listen. The eternal God who created this what seemingly infinite universe says, I love you, little old you enough that I'm going to listen when you pray. But you've got to come to me. You've got to pray. And the next verse after that says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Jesus said something very similar. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone, that means you and you and you and you and you and me, everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. God loves to give his wisdom away. And here's some good news about it. When God gives you his wisdom, when you ask, and God gives you his wisdom, he gives it to you without criticizing you. That's what that verse, in, that phrase in verse 5 says, without reproach. He gives it to you without reproach. What does that mean? You ever have that person in your life that no matter what you do, they always try to make you feel small. They always try to hold you down. And you, you have to ask them for a favor, and they, they never let you live it, up, live it down. I mean, they got to bail you out, right? And so they make sure that you know that they're in the power position, and you're down here. You ever have that person like that? God is not like that. When you come to God humbly asking him for wisdom, you know what God does not say? Boy, it's about time. You've been living without my wisdom for all these years. You should be ashamed of yourself. God's not like that. 
when you humble yourself enough and you come to ask God for wisdom, He says yes. And He doesn't criticize you. He is without reproach, without criticism. He won't chew you out. He won't make you feel bad. He will not be harsh towards you. God is well pleased when we come early in life or late in life, doesn't matter. When we come and ask him for wisdom, he's always pleased to be with us and to give us his wisdom. So number one, principle number one, you want God's wisdom? Ask him. Number two, ask him without doubting. Don't doubt that he'll give it to you. Verses 6 through 8 says, But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Can you imagine the duplicity of you doubting God after asking God for something that he's already promised to give you? Think about that. God has made a promise to give you something. He says, all you got to do is ask. And so you ask him, and then you say, I don't think you can do it, God. I don't think you will do it, God. I doubt that you will do it for me. Can you imagine that type of duplicity, that kind of wishy-washiness? Scripture says that man is unstable. He's a double-minded man. Verse 8 says he's double-minded. Literally, verse 8 says, he is double-souled, S-O-U-L. He has two souls. He's double-souled. What does that mean, two souls? It means sometimes he has a soul that's directed toward God and sometimes it's directed elsewhere. Easily distracted, wishy-washy, fickle type of person. That person who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, here and there and everywhere. Do you think that God is going to give his wisdom to someone who has a lack of character within them? Someone who is unstable in all of his ways? A duplicitous, an unstable, wishy-washy, indecisive person is incapable of receiving God's wisdom. They're totally incapable of it. And just to be clear, James, when he's writing this, he's not talking about a hypocrite. A hypocrite is something a little bit different. A hypocrite says, I'm this way, but reality, they're that way. That's a hypocrite. A wishy-washy person is someone who's sort of here and sort of there and sort of can't make up his mind and he's everywhere, even in his relationship with God. This person is fickle that he's talking about. He's weak. He wavers from belief and unbelief. I'll give you a few examples. In Scripture, the great Exodus event, you know what happened. Israel listened to Moses, and they put their eyes on God, and they escaped the Egyptians. And then once they made it past the Egyptians, once they were safe, they became tempted in the wilderness. And what did they do? They cast their gaze back to Egypt. And they said, we want to be slaves again. Wishy-washy, fickle, unstable. That's not thinking right. But that's how they were. I'll give you another example. Lot's wife. 
Lot's wife was there living with a righteous yet flawed husband in a wicked, wicked land, in a wicked city. And when they had a chance to escape, all they had to do was move forward and escape. But in her heart, because of the wickedness of her heart, she looked back, longing for the city of sin. And it cost her that day. Listen, if you want to have your prayer for wisdom answered, you've got to believe. Unbelief will sink your prayers. Just like Peter literally began to sink. As long as he was walking on the water, he had his eyes on Jesus, he was fine. But when he saw everything else going on, he took his eyes off Christ and he began to sink. Peter's double-mindedness almost caused him to drown, yet the Lord was merciful to him. So principle number one, if you want God's wisdom, ask him. Number two, ask him without doubting. And number three, when you obtain the wisdom of God, you'll show the fruit of it. It will be evidenced in you. Verses 9 through 11 says, but the brother of humble circumstances, that means a poor person. The brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. What's going on here? In the first uh, verse of this uh, entire book, James describes who he's writing to. He's writing to Jewish believers of the dysphoria who've been sort of scattered abroad. <coughs> Excuse me. They've been scattered. Why? A couple of reasons. At one point early on in the first century, Jews in, in, uh, in Rome were being persecuted by the emperor. But also we know that Christians, Jewish Christians, had to be scattered because of their faith. Can you imagine, just because you are who you are, having to pack up everything that you have as quickly as you can and escaping with your very life, moving to another city and trying to replant your life there, leaving, leaving behind your, your cattle and all, ever, all of your possessions that you weren't able to take with you, leaving behind your home, your business. These people lost everything. And James is writing to them. He's writing to these Jewish believers in Christ who at one point, some of them undoubtedly had been well off financially, but everything was confiscated. They lost their jobs. They lost it all. They could no longer boast in their high positions. They could no longer boast in their earthly wealth. And I think James would say to us, neither should we. Because if you happen to be well off, if you happen to be a person with means, you need to understand it can be taken away. And you need to understand something else. It will be taken away. It will be taken away. That land that you own, that 401k, that bank account, all of your possessions, if the government doesn't someday take it away because of your faith, I guarantee you're not taking it to heaven. All that stuff's temporary. James says, if you're rich, don't boast in it. Because it's nothing. It's nothing. 
it's not worth anything eternally. If you're blessed enough to have a measure of wealth, don't boast in your wealth because it will be taken away from you someday. In fact, Scripture says all of this is going to burn. It's all going to burn someday. Instead, whether you're rich or whether you're poor, you've got something better to boast in. You see, this world might consider you to be lowly, but you can boast in the fact that in God's eyes, you are exalted. You might have experienced hunger in this world, but you can boast in the fact that you now know the bread of life. You might have been thirsty in this world, but you can boast in the fact that you know the water of life. You might be tired, but you can boast in God's rest. You might be poor, but you can boast in your eternal riches. You might be sick, but you can boast that you have a great physician who will heal you completely someday. You may have been thrown aside by men, but you can boast that the king of all kings has brought you in as one of his own. You may have no home here on this earth, but you've got a glorious home that awaits you. A glorious home that Jesus said on the day before he died on that cross. He said, if I leave, I go and I prepare a place for you. God has been preparing a place for you. A glorious home awaits you someday. And I think that it will blow your mind how good it is. Don't boast that you've got a nice car, a nice house, a big 401k, a lot of land. That's worthless. Boast that you know the King of Kings. Now today, you may not be experiencing a trial in your life. But I have a promise for you, and it's not a very fun promise. You will soon. You might not be going through bad times right now. Maybe you are. But if you're, if you have a temporary pass on the bad times and everything is just hunky-dory for you, that's Texan for good. Everything's real good. I guarantee you, bad times are coming. That's the way this life is. That's the way of the world. And so when those trials come, those bad times come, you're going to be prepared because you know that going through those valleys, even those deep valleys, means that God is building eternal character in you to help you grow spiritually. And by the way, that character that is being built in you is not just for you but it's also for the people around you who may be going through difficult times as well. Because the character that you have, people will be looking to you, leaning on you, asking your advice, how you can help them when they go through similar circumstances. So what do you do? You pray for wisdom during these hard times and pray in faith knowing that God will give you His wisdom generously. God will give you His wisdom without criticizing you. And you know wisdom is yours when you can endure poverty or riches with the same mindset. My mind is set on the eternal things of God. And my poverty means nothing. And my wealth means nothing. All that means anything is Christ. That's when you know. 
you've obtained God's wisdom.